Well, we're glad you guys are here today. Would you open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 7? We're beginning a brand new series today called FAQ. That's Facts and Questions. And the idea behind this is that there are a lot of things that we do in life where we understand what it is that we do, but we don't understand why we do something. And if you don't understand the why behind the what, the what turns into something that really becomes passionless and it becomes something that's just a system that you're going through, but you don't understand why it is that you're doing this. Uh, my son, Eason, we have a very affectionate family. When we say goodbye to each other, you know, we give each other hugs and we give each other kisses and say, I love you. He's three. It's super cute and fun. But the problem is, is that he doesn't understand the why behind that yet. So that affects the what he does. So we had some friends over, and their little daughter's there, and they're getting ready to leave. And we're like, all right, say goodbye. And he's like, goodbye. And he comes up, gives her a kiss. And I'm like, oh, whoa, wait a second here. And, but he just thinks that what we do is every time someone leaves is we give them a hug and a kiss because that's the system that he's been exposed to. He doesn't understand why we do that, because he's our son or because this is his sister. And there are certain confines that we've put on that. We don't just go around kissing everybody. We're not that family. But... <laughs> Because he didn't know why we do this, he just knew what we did. It ended up getting outside of what really was effective. And if you just go around kissing everybody, really sharing a kiss with your family members becomes not so special anymore. So it's important that we understand why we do the things that we do. And we as Radiant Church and as the church overall, it's easy for us to just fall into this is what we do, especially we're a portable church. And we get here at 7.30 every morning, we're unwinding cables, we're setting up lights and staging. There's a lot of what's that go into it. There are a lot of things that we do as a church. But it's really important that we understand why we do these things. Now, the first question we're going to address today is, what is the church? And that's a good starting point for us. And really, the church is the called out you might not have thought of it that way, but the word ecclesia, which is used in the New Testament, that's the Greek word that we translate into church, the original meaning for this word actually was the called out. It's a conjunction of two words, which means called out. And you might think that's an interesting thing to call the church, but really it makes perfect sense when you put it historically in the way that God's been moving and creating the church since the beginning of time. And really the idea of called out goes back to what happened to the, the Hebrew people as they were in the nation of Egypt. They were living there. They had been enslaved. They were crying out to God that he would come and that he would deliver them from the bondage and the slavery that they existed in. And it says that God came and he called his people out of Egypt. And he said, you are going to be my special people. You are my chosen people. You're going to be a nation of priests. I'm calling you out of slavery. I'm taking you into freedom. I have a promised land. There's blessings and a promise of blessing for you. I'm calling you out of Egypt so that you can move into the place where you will be my people. You will be my very family. And through you, I am going to bless all the people of the earth. You're going to be the ones that represent me, God, to everybody else on the face of the earth. And so now when they come and they describe Christians or the church as the called out, what that means is that if you are a part of the church, it means that you have responded to God's call on your life. That once you were living as a slave, you were in bondage to sin. But God called you out of that. He's delivered you. The moment that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus for your salvation and made him the Lord of your life, 
you became his special people. You became a nation of priests. You became the continuation of what it was that he started so many thousands of years ago. And that's what the church is. We are those who have been called out of spiritual slavery and have been set free by Jesus. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's a great description for what the church is. And that's the universal church. That's the church that through all ages, all people. It's not talking about denominations and local churches. This is talking about all people through all time who have been faithful in responding to God's calling out into a new life. And then what happened was the local meetings of the believers also was translated um, as the church from the word ecclesia because it started meaning the gathering of those who are called out. So what we're doing here this morning is we're having a church meeting. We are a local church. We are the local community of those who have been called out. And now we're getting together to continue to worship, to pray, to study scripture, and to do discipleship things right here in our church. And then the second question is, what does the church do? If we understand what the church is, what does the church do? And the answer to that is we make disciples. Notice in 1 Peter, it didn't just say that we've been called out of something. It says that we've been called into something. And the reason we've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light is so that we can declare his praises to other people. So really, what we do as a church is we make disciples. It's what Jesus told his disciples before he ascends into heaven. The last thing that he says to them is, you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then after you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to go out and to make disciples in all the nations. You're going to do it in the city. You're going to do it in our state, the nation. You're going to go to all the corners of the world. But the reason that I've created the institution of the church is for the purpose of making disciples. And so then the question that this logically leads us to is, well then, how do we make disciples? And this is what we're going to spend most of our time on this morning. And I think a good way to start looking at the discipleship process is by looking at the way that Jesus himself made disciples. And for him, it starts in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, I love that. Even Jesus is going to church. So if he needs to go to church, we need to go to church. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus does is he reads from the prophet Isaiah, where he's talking about what the Savior was going to do. And he says, This is me. I'm the one that the scriptures were talking about. And the reason that I'm here, the reason that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon me is because I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm here to set people free. I'm here to bring healing. I'm here to bring life. I'm here to proclaim to you that this is the time of God's favor for you. This is what Jesus' life and ministry were all about. This is why Jesus was here. 
And then we look and we see the way that it is that Jesus lives us out. And by the way, people were so happy about Jesus' mission statement that they tried to throw him off of a cliff. So <laughs> if people don't like what you're doing, it's okay. They weren't a big fan of Jesus all the time either. But after Jesus makes a statement and he escapes from being thrown off of a cliff, he says um, in Luke chapter 7, soon after, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So he's declared what his mission statement is, and now he's going out to actually start doing this. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never been to a funeral like that. Part of me hopes I get to see a funeral like that, and part of me hopes I never see anything like that. Because I'm not sure I'm ready for, for dead people getting up and talking yet. Uh, I need a little more strength in my spine before I'm ready for that. But what happens is we see Jesus now go out and live out the ministry that he came to do. And we see the way that he began to make disciples. And this is the way that Jesus modeled discipleship for us. Is first of all, he went to the hurting. He's received the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach and to teach. And then he kind of disappears from the scene. You would think that now God in, in flesh has come. He's going to teach about the kingdom of God. He's going to set up a new way of life. The kingdom has come to the earth. You would expect that he might go to Jerusalem, which is the, the capital of the nation, is the cultural capital, is the religious capital. It's where you would go if you were going to try to set something new into process. But instead, he heads north. He goes into the Podunk area. He goes to a place where nobody goes, and he walks 25 miles to this little city called Nain. Now, I grew up in a town called Dowling, who like maybe two of you have heard of it because you've been to my house there back where I used to live. But, I mean, you come into it, there's, we don't have a gas station, we don't have a stop sign, we don't have a stoplight, we don't have anything. There's just a reduced speed sign, and that's the only way that you know that you've come into the town of Dowling. There's nobody there. Whenever the presidents are going around or senators are campaigning, none of them ever stopped in Dowling because it wasn't a good use of their time. If they're trying to build a platform, if they're trying to influence people, you don't go to Dowling to do that. But Jesus goes to a town like Dowling. He walks 25 miles through very difficult terrain. Have you guys ever walked 25 miles? I haven't. I hope I never walk 25 miles. It's sweaty, it's stinky, and not only is he going, but he's dragging his band of disciples with him. He doesn't say why he's going there. He just goes to this little city of Nain. An unexpected place, a podunk place, off the map, off the radar. But the reason why he goes there is because he knows that there are hurting people there. See, this poor woman is having her second funeral. She's a widow, which means that she's already buried her husband. 
She's already gone through the process of, of grieving through his passing, having the funeral, going through all of the things that are entailed in that. And the only comfort that she had was that she still had her son with her. And then she goes through the loss of her son. The last of her family is gone, and more than just the grief that comes with losing someone that you love so dearly and being a widow and now being without her children. But in that time, without your children there to support you, your very existence was threatened. There was no one to support her. There was no one to protect her. There was no one to care for her or provide for her. So not only is she grieving, but she's in the place of hurting where she doesn't, not only does she have the grief of the past, but she has grief for the future because it's as uncertain as can be and she's just expecting that her future will now be filled with grief and suffering and hardships. And that's the way that the rest of her life is going to play out. And the reason that Jesus goes there is because he knows this hurting woman is there. And one of the things that we see again and again through Scripture is that the heart of God is magnetically, magnetically drawn to those who are suffering. He's drawn to the broken. He's drawn to the hurting. And then as Jesus arrives in the town, he begins to look for the lost. He sees as he comes into the gate that there's a funeral procession going on. But he doesn't just see that there's a funeral. He sees that this woman is lost. Have you ever seen someone that's lost? They have that look in their eye. Like I'll be sitting out in my yard sometimes with my kids and you'll see the person that's driving by real slowly and they're looking at their phone and they're looking at the house and they have no idea where they're going. And there's a look to someone that's lost. Even sometimes I see people come in here to church on Sunday morning and they don't know why they're at a movie theater. They're trying to find where they're supposed to go. And you can just tell when someone's lost. You can tell when someone is spiritually lost. And Jesus recognizes this about her. And Jesus could have been like, oh my goodness, that person is lost. I need to quit, get out of here before she sees me. I need to make sure that I don't get involved in this messy situation of the funeral. But Jesus is specifically looking, not just for the people that are hurting. He goes to the place where someone's hurting, but he's also looking for those who are lost so that he can come to them. And what does he do? It says that he comes up alongside of her in her hurt, in her brokenness, in her lostness, and he begins to comfort her. He doesn't even tell her right away what it is that he's going to do. He doesn't explain the plan of how things are about to happen. He just comes up to her and comforts her and says, do not weep. And then he goes on to do something else that's pretty incredible to me. is that he loves the unlovable. Now what Jesus does next is hard to understand. He touches uh, the casket, basically. That is something you should never do. Oh, I, had a, I got to meet a guy once, and uh, he was a pastor, and when he was 21 years old, he was thrown into doing a funeral. He wasn't even a pastor at this time. He was just helping out with the youth group, and his pastor called and said, so-and-so's passed away. I need you to do the funeral for them right now because I'm out of town. And he's like, all right. Any help? He's like, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And so he goes there, doesn't know what he's doing, and at the funeral, the widow of the man who's deceased, she goes up, and she tries to climb onto the casket to give her departed husband one last hug, falls into the casket, faints, completely passes out, and then her children begin to scream, and they faint and pass out. People are screaming, nobody knows what's going on, and the guy sitting here is like, is this what funerals are like? Because I'm never going to become a pastor if this is what happens at funerals. And so, like, you don't touch caskets, it's weird. And for Jesus, this is an unclean thing for him to do. And not only that, but I mean, when you're dead, what are you going to do for someone? 
Why did Jesus travel all this way? Why did he put so much effort and so much sacrifice into traveling here to someone who's already passed away? But Jesus goes to this person. He goes into the north where people are unlovable, they're despised, they're looked down on. He goes to the people who are hurt, who are lost, who are broken. He goes to the dead and puts himself in a place of where he becomes ceremonially unclean now. This one had to go through a purification process after this. But he goes there because he has a love for people. A love for those who are unlovable. A love for those who are even spiritually dead. We could put that into our own language for how we view things. And he steps into that situation and he gives hope to the hopeless. See, if, if he could have asked this woman, what is it that you want me to do for you? I don't think she would have asked for her son back. Why? Because that's an impossibility. You don't ask for the impossible things. You ask for what you think is possible. So she's in a hopeless state because her son is gone, never to return. She's in a state of grieving for the rest of her life. There is no hope for this woman. But what Jesus does is he brings hope to her. And he speaks and he says, Dead man, arise. And what happens when he speaks that to this body, he reaches into the realm of death and he pulls this man back into the realm of the living. He does the impossible. And he restores hope to this woman who had previously been hopeless. And I love that the man just sits up and begins to talk. I would love to know what's going through his mind at that moment. When you wake up and you're in a funeral procession and it's yours, hey guys, not yet, I'm not dead, I'm feeling a lot better now, thanks so. And what happens is this funeral, the saddest, darkest time of her life, the most hopeless time of her life, turns into the time that is most filled with hope because what has happened is Jesus has come and he has restored hope to her. He's moved in a miraculous way. He's gone beyond what anybody ever thought could be possible. He suspends the natural order of things to bring hope to this widow. Because what Jesus ultimately does is he offers the grace of God. See, he didn't just restore hope for this woman's life, for her, her right now. He restored hope to her for a Savior. He restored hope to her that God did love her, that God did care about her in the situation that she was in, and that nothing was too impossible for God. And that's the way that Jesus went around making disciples. And it's the model that we have to have as a church if we're going to make disciples as well. We have to know who we are. We are the church. We are those who are called out of sin. We've been called into life. And the reason that God has done this, the reason he's created the church, is so that we can make disciples. And the way that we make disciples is when we look at the model that Jesus set for us and we say, I'm willing to go to the hurting. I'm going to look for the lost. I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to restore hope to the hopeless. And I'm going to offer the grace of God to people. 
And that's what we do. And so if we look at it, how is it that Radiant Church is going to make disciples? If we're going to live out what it is that God's called us to do as a church, as a local gathering of those who have been called out, uh, for us, there's two ways that we're going to do it. And the first is in our gatherings. You see, every Sunday morning, we create a place for people to encounter the presence of God. And this is what I love. As we have gotten together, and like I said, we, we set up cables and we put speakers up and they're heavy and the staging's heavy. It turns out everything is heavy. And we create this place. People sacrifice so much to make a place where people can come in and encounter God's presence. And they're setting up kids' rooms and they're changing diapers and they're telling kids not to put things inside of their mouth and they're telling the kids they're teaching them worship songs and teaching them how to pray and every day what we're doing is we're coming and we're saying it doesn't matter how hurt it doesn't matter how broken you are it doesn't matter how lost you are we love you god loves you and we're going to do everything that we can to offer you the grace of god because when i found the grace of god it changed my life it changed my life. I was once just as dead as that dead man at that funeral procession, but Jesus reached into the realm of death and he pulled me into the realm of life. Yeah. And I am a new person now. Yeah. I have seen what God can do. My hope has been restored because I've encountered the grace of God. And we've seen people here at Sunday mornings because of the sacrifice that you guys make to create a place for people. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen hundreds of people make decisions to follow Jesus. We've seen miraculous healings, miraculous provisions. We've seen people launched out into ministries. I mean, it's unbelievable to see the things that God has been doing. And even if you look around, like we are growing like crazy. God is doing something awesome. He's honoring the work and the sacrifice that we're putting into this so that we can make more and more disciples of Jesus. But here's the other part. We have to ask ourselves, as we continue to grow and continue to reach out to the hurting and the lost and the broken, do we really want those people here? You know who we love more than anybody? Us. I think if everybody was just more like me, I wouldn't have any problems with anyone. You know who I don't like? People who aren't like me. And this is, this is an honest part, guys, that we have to ask ourselves. Do we like people that are just like us? Or do we like people that aren't like us as well? Because here's the way the human heart works. It's divisive. It's judgmental. We don't like people that don't look like us. We don't like people that make less money than us. We don't like people that make more money than us. We don't like people that vote for a party different than what we vote for. We usually don't even like the people that vote for our own party anyways when it comes to <laughs> politics. What we do is we set up all We don't like people that smell worse than us. We don't like people that smell better than us. We don't like people that are too loud or messy. I mean, the thing is, we have to understand is that God has a heart for all people. And my prayer is that God will bring us more and more hurting people. Yeah. People that don't look anything like us. People that don't act like us. But we have to make sure that we welcome them in. Because all people have been invited into the family of Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we're preparing our hearts right now so that when someone comes in and they're not like you and they're loud and they're stinky and they're using words you don't think you should use in church, and they're doing, writing things on Facebook that you don't think you should write on Facebook, that you don't judge them and condemn them, but you love them, you pray for them, and you model the love and the acceptance of Jesus for them.
Because when I was dead in my sin and in my trespasses, Jesus gave himself up for me. And then number two is we're going to make disciples in our missions. And what I mean by this is everything that goes on outside of these four walls. Because Jesus didn't just invite everybody to come to his synagogue and hang out with him and be ministered to. It's a great way to make disciples is as we gather here together. It's continuing the discipleship process in all of us. But we have to go outside the four walls of our building as well. Because the church isn't a building, it's a people. And here's something I'm going to share with you guys just briefly about where we're going as a church. And it was something that's been really burning inside of my heart for the last five, six years. Before I was ever here, before I knew I was planning Radiant Church, I knew there was something that we were going to do to reach people. Guys, there is a problem in our community with people that live in poverty they're unable to provide for themselves. They're unable to provide for their families. They live hurt, and they live lost. They live broken, and they feel like they have no worth and no value. And there's a way that we can enter into that and be a part of extending the grace of God to them. You see, there's something that we're going to start, and it's going to be called the Radiant Empowerment Center. And it's going to do a lot of things. But here's phase one of it, is we're going to make it a place where if you have been able, unable to find gainful employment, whether it's because you have something like a criminal background, whether it's because you made some poor choices in high school and weren't able to you know, put yourself educationally in a place of where you can go out there and get a job and support yourself, whatever the, the situation or circumstances might be, whatever's happened to you, it doesn't matter. We're going to create a place where you can come in and you can be empowered to live out the life that God's called you to live. And this is what's going to look like. We're going to have people come in. There's going to be assessments for them to figure out where they're at, any remedial education that needs to take place. And then we're going to have programs to teach them how to do basic things like using Microsoft Office, uh, you know, some basic technology things. We're going to go through with them and we're going to create a track where if you want to be a certified nurse assistant, where you can you know, get benefits and a salary that will support you and your family and provide you with the education for that. If you want to go into administrative assistant kind of things, if you want to do basic automotive things, there will be different tracks that people can go through where they will receive the training that they need so that they can go out and find gainful employment. We're going to provide them with basic life coaching skills money management things. We're going to develop relationships with local business owners and say these people have been through our year-long program. We put our stamp of approval on them and these are going to be great employees for you and we're going to continue to follow up with them every week, make sure they're doing well. And these people are going to be able to break the cycle of poverty that they've been living in for so long, where they've been without hope, where they haven't felt any worth or any value. We're going to go to the hurting. We're going to look for the lost. We're going to love the unlovable. We're going to extend the grace of God to them. And you know what's going to happen as we do something like this? Disciples are going to be made. People are going to be set free. Dead people are going to come spiritually alive. But you know what that means? That's going to take a lot of work on our part as a church. I've had a lot of pastors as I've been... I've been reaching out to people, hey, are you guys doing anything like this? And they'll say, no, we're not doing anything like this. But I tell you what, why don't you give us the template for it because we want to do it too. And I say, well, we've got to start it first, but after we get it going, I'll be happy to share with you what's going on. But this is one of the ways that we're going to make disciples. This is one of the ways that we're going to meet a need that's inside of our community. And we're going to see lives change. We're going to see our city change. We're going to see our church change but we're going to make disciples. And what I need from all of you 
is for us to come back to the place of where we're willing to say, God, whatever the cost is, I want to use all of my gifts, all of my talents, all of my treasures, everything that I am, I want to use this to make disciples. And why is that? Why was it that Jesus sacrificed so greatly for us? Why is it that we as a church are going to continue to sacrifice and work so hard and go more and more after it? It's because people matter. There's nothing more precious in this world than people. If God was willing to come down and to lay down his life for people, then it means that they're pretty important. And if God was willing to lay down, lay down his life for others, then it means that we need to be willing to do the same thing as well. We look at the model Jesus set, going after the lost, going after the hurting, going after the broken, hanging out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all the backslidden people. These are the people that he goes to. These are the people he draws in. You know, the early church was filled with women and slaves and prisoners. All the despised and powerless in society were the ones who responded strongest to the gospel. And that's going to be true for us as well. So there's two things to ask yourself this morning. Is number one, have you recognized that value that you have because you are a person? That God loves you, that he's poured himself out for you, that he wants to bring you spiritually alive, that he wants to, to lead you into the newness of life. Because if you haven't yet, then that first thing that you need to do is respond because Jesus is calling you out of darkness and he's calling you into his marvelous light so that you can proclaim the praises of the God who saves you. And all it takes is you saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm coming after you now. I put my faith in you for salvation. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I believe that you saved me. And I make you the Lord of my life. Wherever I go, I might not understand everything. I might not understand why there's things you want me to do and why there's things you don't want me to do, but I know that you love me and I know that you're good and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to trust you. And then the second thing is once you've made that decision is you have to say, God, to what extent am I willing to go to to reach the lost? Is there some part of me that I've been holding back? Some part of me that I've been holding on to? Would you guys stand with me this morning? It's so important that we just allow God to speak to our hearts. So I'm going to take a moment just ask and say, God, what am I supposed to do with this? What is it that you're speaking to my heart this morning? things that, that God's speaking to me at least and probably a lot of you as well as there's things in my heart that I've been holding on to against other types of people who aren't like me that made me say well they deserve to be in that position or if they hadn't made this decision that wouldn't have happened or whatever but that's sin that I'm allowing to exist inside of me 
That's me not having the eyes of Jesus. That's me not having the love of Jesus. And we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, would you forgive us of the hardness of heart that we've had? God, would you forgive us of our own self-righteousness? God, would you forgive us of not loving others like you have loved them, of us not seeing the worth and the value of every single person? And then the other thing that God's speaking to me is that I've been holding back too much of myself. That everything that we've been given individually, that everything we've been given as a church is for the purpose of making disciples. And I need to say, God, every gift you've given me, all of my time, all of my money, even everything, God, that you've given to me is something you've entrusted me with for the purpose of making disciples. So Jesus, would you forgive me for the ways that I've been hoarding my own things for my benefit? And God, now would you propel us into being a church that makes disciples, God, in our own city, in our own community, across all the nation, Jesus. And God, would you put new vision, God, would you put new fire inside of our hearts? Because God, as we look around, we do see the hurting, we see the lost, we see the needy, we see those who need a touch from you, God. We see the hopeless, and we know that you have the ability to bring hope, God. We know that you have the ability to bring life. We know that you have the ability to bring healing and salvation. That God, there is nothing that is impossible for you. So God, would you give us all surrendered hearts to you and to your ways, God. Would you fill us with a passion for all of our city, God? That we would be compelled to go and to make disciples. Whatever the cost, whatever the price, it's worth it because you are worthy of the glory and the honor that you receive from it and because the people who are around us are worth it. It's worth laying our lives down for. Jesus, would you give us divine ideas and divine strategies? God, over all of our re outreach, over what it is that we're doing here on Sundays, God, would you be our provision? Would there be a thicker anointing of your presence as we do these things? And God, would you come, would you confirm the things that we preach through the power of the demonstration of the Holy Spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.